0: Thank you for joining us around the fire. For more information or to make a donation, please visit randomactnetwork.com. Now, wanna hear a scary story? No man could say what had become of Jeremy Lester, the last resident owner of the Whitaker estate. He was in the parlor one Christmas Eve, and by the next morning had disappeared. Overnight, one Mr. Worley, a great friend of Jeremy's, had sat playing cards with him until after twelve o'clock. Then he took leave and rode home under the moonlight. After that, no person, as far as could be ascertained, ever saw Jeremy Lester alive. His ways of life had not been the most respectable or regular, and it was not until the new year that his servants became seriously alarmed concerning his absence. Authorities set out on foot, searching as weeks and months passed by without the slightest clue of Jeremy's whereabouts. Advertisements ran, and rewards were offered, but still, Jeremy made no reappearance. Eventually, the estate was given to the heir, an overworked lawyer named Paul Lester, He took possession of the house in the dead of summer and settled in with his wife and her four children from a previous husband. But when the winter snows returned, he took his family back from where they'd come. He sold most of the land surrounding the house, boarded up the hall, hired a live-in caretaker and never troubled himself further about the place. As time went on, people whispered that the house was haunted. The family had been living a life most only could dream of, and something must have caused the sudden departure. Forty-one years passed before Paul died "'and I succeeded to the Whitaker estate. "'There could not have been found in the world "'a happier pair than myself and my only sister, Claire. "'We'd never met the man, "'and what little we heard was unfavorable. "'At his hands, we'd never received a single benefit. "'Now, his loss was certainly our gain. "'The fortune, though, had been spent. "'Lester spent his years traveling "'and throwing lavish parties at his penthouse in the city.' I quickly heard the absurd stories afloat about the house being haunted. Supposedly, Jeremy's spirit wandered the grounds, seen by poachers or playing children, or lovers searching for a quiet place beneath the elms. As for the caretaker, the third in residence since Lester's disappearance, he shook his head gravely when questioned. The first thing I did was proceed to the parlor, tear open the shutters, and let the bright August sun stream in upon the haunted chamber. It was an old-fashioned, plainly furnished room, with a large table in the center, a fireplace with a smaller table nearby, and chairs against the walls. There were figurines on the hearth, broken and rusty. There was a picture of some sea fight over the mantelpiece, while another work of art about equal in merit hung between the windows. Altogether, the room was utterly unromantic, and the ghosts flitted away as soon as I let the daylight inside. I made plans to redecorate, refurnish, and convert it into a pleasant morning room, and there were many other nooks and corners to explore, long neglected, filled with old chests and cupboards and the faces of our ancestors looking down from the walls. The overgrown garden, full of weeds, was filled with untamely shrubs and birdweed. There was grass on the paths and trailing brambles over the ground. Yet. The Whitaker estate looked quite pretty in its state of uncivilized picturesqueness. At the end of August, Claire and I decided on going abroad to take our long-talked-of holiday before the fine weather was past. We wandered the continent, seeing galleries in Paris, and became acquainted with a family after accidentally discovering that we were near neighbors back home. In fact, their property lay close beside the estate. Mr. and Mrs. Cronson were a delightful pair, and before long we were traveling in company. It was the middle of November when we arrived home to the Whittaker, and found the place anything but pleasant. The walks were wet and sodden, the trees were leafless, there were no flowers, it had been a wet season, and the place looked miserable. The ghost stories we had laughed at while sunshine flooded in the room became less unreal when we had nothing but blazing fires and wax candles to dispel the gloom. They became even more real, as servant after servant left us to seek situations elsewhere, when noises grew frequent in the house, when we ourselves, Claire and I, with our own ears, heard the trampling and banging that had been described to us. Being practical people, and unlike our predecessors, not having money to live where and how we liked, we decided to watch and see whether we could trace any human influence in the matter. If not, it was agreed we were to pull down the right wing of the house and the principal staircase. For nights and nights, we sat up till two or three o'clock in the morning. I read book after book as Claire engaged in needlework— with a revolver lying on the table between us. But nothing, neither sound nor appearance, rewarded our vigil. This confirmed my first ideas that the sounds were not supernatural, but just to test the matter, I determined, on Christmas Eve, the anniversary of Mr. Jeremy Lester's disappearance, to keep watch myself in the red bedroom. Even to Claire, I never mentioned my intention. About ten, we each retired to rest, I noisily shut the door of my room, and when I opened it half an hour afterwards, no mouse could have moved along the corridor with greater silence than myself. I sat in darkness in the red room. When the moon rose high, strange lights cast across the floor and walls of the haunted chamber. But no sound broke the silence. I had dropped into a slumber when I was waked by the sound of the door softly opening. John. "'John, are you here?' said my sister, just above a whisper. "'I'm here,' I answered. "'They're in the parlor.' I did not need any further explanation as to whom she meant, and crept down the stairs after her, warned by an uplifted hand at the necessity for silence and caution. Dreamlike music echoed softly from the parlor, which we had left in darkness." Now a bright fire blazed with flickering candles adorning the chimney piece and the small table pulled from its corner, where two men sat playing cards. It looked like they'd just returned from a great party. The younger man was decorated with the costume of a bygone period and powdered hair with lace ruffles on his wrists. His little finger wore a sparkling ring with a matching diamond on the front of his shirt. There were diamond buckles in his shoes, and he wore knee breeches and silk stockings, which showed off advantageously the shape of a remarkably good leg and ankle. The man was Jeremy Lester, who had been missing for 41 years that very night. He sat opposite the door, but never once lifted his eyes. His attention seemed concentrated on the cards. In the doorway, we stood, holding our breath, terrified and yet fascinated by the scene before us. The ashes dropped on the hearth softly, like the snow. We could hear the rustle of the cards as they were dealt out and fell upon the table, but there was no word spoken till, at length, the player whose face we could not see exclaimed, I win! The game is mine! But Jeremy took up the cards and flung them in his guest's face, exclaiming, Cheat! Lie! Or take that! There was a bustle and confusion, and we could not hear a sentence which was uttered. All at once, however, Jeremy Lester strode out of the room in so great a hurry that he almost touched us where we stood and tramp, tramp, trampled up the staircase to the red room. He returned with two rapiers, and they walked into the night air. We followed through the garden and down a narrow, winding walk to a smooth piece of turf, sheltered from the north by trees." The moon was still bright, and we could distinctly see Jeremy Lester hovering just above the ground. A handsomer fellow I had never beheld. When you say three... He said at last to his opponent. One... Began the man, whose face remained in shadow. Two... And before Jeremy had the slightest suspicion, the man was on him, plunging his rapier straight through his breast. Claire screamed aloud, and the combatants disappeared, and the moon was obscured behind a cloud. We shivered with cold and terror, but we knew at last what had become of the late owner of the Whitaker, foully murdered by a false friend. When late on Christmas morning I awoke, it was to see a white world, such snow as no person could remember having fallen for 41 years. When the snow melted away, we searched the property, and in a shallow grave within the plantation, Jeremy Lester's body was found. He still wore his diamonds, the great ring sitting loosely on a rotting little finger bone. We were never taken seriously when we shared the events of that Christmas Eve. The Cronsons returned to their property for the first time since their vacation, having visited Mr. Cronson's ailing father, and invited us over for lunch. As they led us to the garden... Claire dropped the glass she carried, and it shattered across the floor. John! She exclaimed, face as white as the tablecloth. She was staring at a portrait on the wall. That's him. What happened next, I have only the vaguest recollection. Servants rushed in, and Mrs. Cronson fell from her chair in hysterics. Her four crying daughters gathered round. Mr. Cronson furiously attempted some explanation as Claire begged to leave, only to be taken away. I took her away, not only from the Cronson property, but from the Whitaker estate. I returned to speak with Mr. Cronson, who shared that the portrait Claire identified was his wife's father, Jeremy's friend, and the last man to see him alive. The man had confessed everything to his son just before he died. You won't bring further sorrow upon us by making this matter public, he asked me. I promised him I would keep silence, and similarly, the house was peaceful after that Christmas night. But eventually, the story oozed out of me, and the Cronsons moved away. My sister married and left for the city, never to return to the Whitaker estate. But for myself, I adore the aging home.